Welcome back, Rebels. Uh, you want to talk about growing, don't you? I do. I've just been randomly listening to some music this week. Um, normally, I kind of listen to audiobooks and stuff. But this week, I've thought, well, let's just give my brain a bit of a break. And I've just been kind of finding a bit of new music and just letting some stuff play through. And I came across this song that's actually called Butterfly. The kind of main theme of the song Sugar is baby. growth takes... Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. It's that one, right? No, it's not that one. It's not <laughs> that one, no. Within the song, it talks about growth taking time quite a lot. And that kind of got me thinking. I feel like whenever I listen to songs that are heavy in lyrics now, I try and just like formulate anything I can take into... I suppose it's like taking inspiration. Like I take inspiration from the lyrics and then mix it through my brain a bit and then basically turn that into a creative entrepreneurial thing. But yeah, I feel like this message of growth taking time was quite a nice message that was quite important, I think. Because I think there is definitely this huge rush these days to be an expert overnight because people start stuff and they look on their phones and they're like, well, these people are great. I need to get to that level. I need to be the best possible person tomorrow. A lot of times they do that by just copying, replicating other people, they don't actually try and develop something themselves. And I think it is really important to realise that you're not going to get good overnight. You're not going to get good in a week, a month, a year, maybe even three years. It might take a really long time to get to the level where you want to get to. You can get into a stage where you're literally just copying other people and you're not really learning or developing your own skills so much. I think there's so much to be had in maybe not putting out as much content every month but spending more time learning and growing and developing your craft to get better. Because I think if you put out less pieces of content and spent the time you would normally create putting those content out into learning and growing, then I feel like the work you do put out would be of a high level because you'll have learned and grown whilst doing it. And actually, long term, that would play out a lot better than getting a few like more likes in every single one. It would kind of over time, it would grow in a way that would benefit your career so much more. Definitely. However, I do totally get it. I, I really understand the the need for I want this yesterday. Yeah. When I think back to when I was a kid and I was, and I've talked about it on this show several times about when I was completely lost and had no idea what direction I was going in. I think because of social media now, there's, there's much more of a, an established path. And a lot of people, so when I was lost in my twenties, I didn't really have any sort of figures of success that I could look to other than people on TV. Yeah, And now I can just open my phone and I can see, especially if you're 20 years old, all you've got to do is go onto TikTok or go onto Instagram and you can see people who are your age, who are living in mansions, who are have this amazing lifestyle, yeah. who are getting millions of views and whatever. And, and it seems like it's this overnight success. So I do totally understand where that comes from of I, I want to I want to achieve like I'm I'm here and I'm making this work and no one's watching and I'm screaming into the void. And when's when's this success coming? And I've been listening to Creative Rebels for two years now and they keep saying it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So where where is it? So I do understand yeah. that. And I think when you're younger, there's definitely this kind of perception of I can get things really quick and it's going to happen soon. Because it's, it's funny, cause like, I've been thinking about this recently. Like I shoot a lot with, say, like younger people and like, older people. But like whenever I ask people, when they ask how old you are, I always say guess, because I'm always interested to see what their answer is. Younger people always say younger so if someone is for example 18 they will generally think i'm about 26 so closer to them because i feel like they look at you and how successful you are and think well i'll probably achieve that in a few years but then when actually you meet someone of your same age they just think you're the exact same age there's no kind of difference there and i think if you meet someone older they generally think you're closer to them so i think there's definitely something said for 
the way younger people think is just per perceiving that they can achieve so much in such a short period of time. And I think a lot of that comes down to social media and seeing things that where people have just popped and grown really quickly and they've just like, oh, well, I'll leave uni and then I'll go and get this job. And then I'll, after doing that for a couple of years, I'll then have enough money to buy a house and kind of move into those kind of realms of life. And we have this really accelerated view. And I think this is also down to the fact that when we're kids, we're kind of there's this kind of like lost gap of people that we know like we know us and our friends and people around us maybe our brothers and sisters and kind of so quite a small age group around us and then the next people we know will be our parents and the people that hang around with them and there's that big gap of difference between your age and their age that you don't really see so much you don't really see someone who's 10 years older than you and what they're up to unless you've got kind of cousins and stuff around there but there's this kind of gap of like, well, this is where I am now. The only other people I know around me are this jump ahead that you kind of miss the middle ground and you just see these people who are in the future. And then I think you just think like, well, OK, I'm going to go from here to there. But you don't realize there is this huge middle part that is the part where you learn and grow and develop that you have to actually put the time in them and really nurture. I, I look at Zach and Jay. I've been thinking about them when, when you were talking about it because I was thinking, Here's two kids who have hacked the system and um, we've interviewed them twice on the podcast and they they have worked out the how to get views on YouTube. They knew how long it was going to take to and how much work it was going to take to grow a YouTube channel. It's one of the hardest content platforms there is to grow an audience on. So they decided we're going to hack the system. And how do you hack the system? By creating absolutely unmissable videos. Um, so let's do the craziest shit that we can think of. Then we know people are gonna are gonna watch it. Yeah. That's that's what they did. But you you have to think, although they have seen a great amount of success in a short period of time, they've spoken about their backstories and they've spoken about like creating content, like video content for years before they actually parlayed it into the Zach and Jay show. Your personality you're working on your entire life. So if you're a funny person and you and you're on videos and you're really hilarious that's not something that that is something that you can like absolutely learn and and you can put time into but if you've already learned it and already been putting time into it as you've been growing up as a kid or whatever it's like Zach is naturally funny I I, I say yeah. naturally funny but like he's cultivated a comedic timing Yeah he was 100% that funny kid at school like you can definitely picture him being 10 years old and making jokes and being like a funny person yeah, 100%. So I think although it looks on the surface like they've jumped it, even when you look at someone who's basically hacked YouTube, they still have years behind them before they actually got to that position and that and that spot. So I suppose it's a it's a game of patience. It's we've been telling you for the past two and a half years be patient. It is coming. And I think we'll we'll continue to tell you that forever. I mean, I in in our careers we've we've been going for 10 years and we're just scraping the surface like we're not we're not even started yet and we know it's like I, I said this on an episode before but i think it it fits here is i don't make the work that i make in order to stop making the work that i make in order to all of yeah. a sudden get a big payday i make the work that i make to allow me to keep on making the work that i make because that's what i enjoy yeah 100 percent. i think that is the way to do it it's working on stuff that you care about that brings you joy forever it's not going to be something that's just like like i could if i wanted to go and replicate some 
Banksy style prints, do some things that are just complete ripoffs of that, and then just I could I could find them and sell them, and it would be like, okay, here's a quick thing to sell. We've seen it. We know an artist who has got that basic, yeah, yeah, done exactly that. But then you look at the their career, and it doesn't go past that because it's like, oh, here's the thing that I've copied. Oh, I'm going to sell that, and then you'll just see them copy something else. And you can either be someone who spends your whole career copying and like taking little bits from here and then trying to quickly flip it it's like it's like having a market stall of like i'm, I'm buying something and oh, i'm going to try and add a bit more money into that quickly flog it or you can actually invest in a business and start and grow from it yourself which is generally your creative craft and it's like that's going to develop over time it's going to take longer you're not going to get the quick buck here and there you're not going to be the dell boy flogging stuff it's like you're going the proper route about it and it's going to take longer but just know that putting that work in over the years will put you in a better place than the person who just copied things and ripped stuff off all all the way around. When I go through our DMs on Instagram at Rebels Create and I see the messages that you guys are sending in, quite often I'll be clicking through to profiles and I I get this kind of sense of nervousness because I look at the work and I know it's not there yet. And and I'm kind of honest and I'm like, yeah, this is it's really good. But like you've got you've still got work to put in. And I just, I, the reason I'm nervous is because I know that so many people do give up. And because so many people give up, that, that, that holds everyone else back. Because when you're saying your big plans to people, they've been let down by everyone else in the past. It's very difficult for them to get, get behind you. And because so many people do give up, I see that, I guess I'm obsessed with potential. You and me recently were doing a, a consultation for a big brand, a big uh, gym wear brand. And we were getting so fired up on that call because we could see the potential like we could see yeah. that they have like they're they're massively popular but there's certain things they're not doing that they could explode and become much more popular and it's the same on on like an individual scale with the people that send us DMs i see the potential and i see like on a long enough timeline if you don't give up and you say like fuck the fact that i'm not getting any likes or followers or any bullshit which really doesn't matter but i'm i'm in this for me and i'm enjoying it it's i mean i've spoken before about there has to be something more than for me to spend seven hours out in the snow like I did the other day painting. <laughs> then, then, and like, and that was one of my most popular videos. Go to at David Speed UK on Instagram if you want to see me painting in the snow. But, but like, that was one of my most popular videos because like, people could see that I was in the fucking snow. Like, there has to be more than a ten-second video for me to actually power through that. My my hands were turning to mush. Like, for me to actually power through that discomfort. There has to be more than just an Instagram post of getting some likes at the end of it. So I worry when I see people who are just at the beginnings of this journey and they're trying to get the likes and the follows and they're not, they're not, what they need to do is focus on the practice, focus on getting good. We spoke about it with Seth Godin, just like this is, I show up every day. This is my, this is my workspace. This is my sketchbook. This is my, where I write my poems, whatever it is, just show up there every day. That's the most important thing. Make the work. And as you make the work, the work will start to take on a life of its own. You will grow and evolve through the work. And you've got to be patient. You've got to keep working. It's that growing that is so important because because without actually doing it, you don't grow. And I think that is the most important thing. It's like you need to put yourself in those situations to develop, to make the thing. Because without making the thing, you're not going to make the better thing. And if you've got this view of where you want to be in the future you're only going to get there by doing all of the all of the bad work to get to the good work mm. and it's going to take so much of that of like work that you're not pleased with but it's better to make a piece you're not pleased with 
than just keep giving up halfway through because you're like, oh, oh, the eyes are wrong on this. Like if I think back to when I first started doing portraits, uh, I think I first started doing like kind of anime characters to kind of get proportions and stuff right. And if I'd have given up every time one looked bad halfway through, I would have never finished anything. But it's like making something, even if it is crap, but finishing it because you'll learn that you'll learn something by finishing it that you can take on to the next one. Don't give up just because that's wrong. And then if you're if you do find actually oh, keep messing up on this eye, which is what I used to do, then I would be okay. I'm going to get a piece of paper. I'm going to draw a hundred eyes because that's the individual part that I need to get better at. And then I can do two eyes. I can get the two eyes looking good from different angles. Now I'm going to put the nose in and slowly build up. But it's like keep working on them and keep developing the things that you have problems with, the things that you know you need improving on, and. And like analyze your work and then put the effort into getting better at those things but yeah as you said there it's like you have to show up every day you have to show up consistently it's facing the discomfort isn't it because a, ta- a tattoo apprentice will be forced to sit down and do an entire sketchbook of a thousand roses they will be forced to do that but we'll never do it to ourselves because it's it's dis- is uncomfortable we don't want to sit at, sit there and do the same thing over and over again it's repetitive but tattoo artists know you're going to have to like if you want to do this as a job and as a career you're going to have to do this repetition because it's only through repetition that that the skills are become concrete that really reminds me of um there was a, a sign writing course i remember we bought uh, uh for our office for everyone everyone to take part in and it was like an online thing where we we're like okay well every wednesday we're going to sit down and do this sign writing thing and everyone was like great i'm going to be able to create these amazing signs in like no time and then we were going through lesson one and it was basically we just basically made the same letter over and over again for like the whole hour and everyone was like oh well this wasn't very fun and and then no one came back to the second week of it because it wasn't that instant gratification it was like okay well if you want to learn something properly this is the way you're going to do it and it's going to take a lot of time a lot of repetition but you need to show up and put the work in to achieve what you want to be able to achieve yes so just be patient um i'll tell you what People do love hanging out with us, don't they? They love hanging out with us. It's actually I've heard that it's people's number one thing to do, hang out with us. Yeah, people, they people just love it. So if you are people, then come and hang out with us on the second of March at our next access event. Yeah, last month was so great. It's so nice to see that every single month we're doing these, we're getting more and more people coming, more and more questions asked. You're seeing the same faces pop up and it's like I feel like a community is generally forming there. So yeah, so if you're into creativity, if you're into entrepreneurship. You're listening to this podcast, so I'm guessing you are. Uh, go to creativerebels.co forward slash access for our next live event. Yes, creativerebels.co forward slash access. What else are you going to do during a Panasonic? Um, we are also on Clubhouse. If you guys happen to have an iPhone and you're using the Clubhouse app, we are planning to do some stuff in there. So do add us. I am at David Speed UK. And I am at Adam Brazier. B R A Z I E R. And yeah, hop in some rooms with us. Um, Cool, I suppose we better uh, get on to this week's episode. Yep, I think it's about time we did that. So this episode is with the founders of Block London. Yeah, we sat down and spoke to Ed and Max, who are the founders of Block London. I mean, this is a gym. It's a gym, but it doesn't look like a gym. It looks like a completely beautiful curated art space. Um, I think they've been, I mean, they've been phenomenally successful, but I think they've done that through being completely different. And I think where this episode is good is the fact that there's so many like practical bits of advice that you can take that if you're starting a business, how to do that, how to stand out, how to get the people around you that you actually want to be around you. There's so many like valuable little nuggets to take from this episode. 
yeah, being being smart, crowdsourcing your ideas, making sure you're providing a surface that people actually want before you go and do it. And I know we get contacted a lot about people that are asking whether they should set up a space or not. And there's some interesting takeaways on that in this episode. Ed and Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Yeah. Is it true that uh, Block happened by accident? <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, it definitely wasn't a question of us getting together and saying, right, we need to we need to start a business. What's it going to be like, you know, and coming up with a really clear plan for uh, global domination. <laughs> and uh, we certainly never thought let's we're going to roll out um, some sort of concept. Uh, it was very much, uh, I prefer organic, I think, than accident. <laughs> I found a warehouse space in Clapton for, for my construction company. And I was originally looking for a much smaller space. And then I came across this incredible much bigger space that I got an amazing deal on. And when you find, as a someone in property, when you find space like that, you kind of, you know, I just knew I had to take it and work out what I was going to do with it later. So took the space and then started speaking to friends about what might be fun to do there. And originally approached Max as a photographer and said, you know, how about a photo studio? Or um, I think we were in Ibiza at the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just got chatting about it. And the original plan was to set up a photo studio. And we, we went uh, a little way down that road Max came to look at it and was like, oh my God, you know, the space is just so special. We can do something really cool here. And then while we were in that process of setting the photo studio up, I started training with Max. Max was big into boxing and yoga. We were going down to Bethnal Green at six in the morning and uh, boxing in the arches. And we suddenly thought, you know, maybe this would be a bit more fun, you know, something a bit a bit different. Um, if we could bring a bit of that, the sort of rawness of that spit and sawdust boxing studio, studio boxing gym, to something that that felt a bit more accessible to people and and then it sort of grew from there i think max was as i say big into yoga had a hannah um who's now a head of yoga still ahead of yoga five years later used to do a bit of uh yoga for him at home and we got to talking to her and from there slowly this sort of concept of the, the multi-discipline um gym sort of came, came from from nowhere really and yeah, the rest is history. Five years later, here we are. It's so funny how life works of, of just like following, like listening to what's happening around you and kind of, and I love that you were, that you didn't sort of fall for the sunk cost fallacy of like, okay, we've gone down this route of of photography studio. We've spent this much time on it. So I suppose we're doing a photography studio and you sort of just listened to the things that were telling you, actually, no, this is probably the direction that might be more more fun and more rewarding for you. Yeah, definitely. It was... Um... It also, I think there was a lot to be said for where the location was in Clapton. I mean, there's such a huge sort of creative demographic around there and there was no one really serving the need that people had for a gym or a fitness space where they could go and work out and spend time and meet people and kind of not, you know, most gyms, you'd want to go in and out and just it's a very functional process. Whereas this was definitely more of a kind of lifestyle that we were creating. And, and we started speaking to a lot of people in the area and talking to them about our plans and, and the kind of classes we wanted to do and the concept. And, um, and everyone responded really well to it. And we suddenly realized that we actually had, you know, a really good, a good market, you know, an immediate captive audience there. And when we opened, you know, we, had, we, you know, we were busy from the start, which was remarkable. Normally it takes quite a long time for a site to to gain traction, but we were fortunate enough 
um, to be busy from the start. And we also, you know, got some really good attention from the press for the design and the um, for the for the design element. Wallpaper magazine did an article on us, which was great. So the location of Clapton was was just perfect to start this this kind of concept. I think one thing you guys did that was super smart was that you like got people to fill in questionnaires before you opened so that you knew what people wanted rather than just guessing because i think most people open a space they they have an idea that oh a a cake shop is going to be great in this area but if they haven't actually asked the area do you want cakes and what kind of cakes do you want then then they're just guessing whereas you guys sort of had an informed decision because you'd actually surveyed the what people wanted yeah absolutely i think it's so important to understand what what people want especially for us it wasn't really a sort of decision that came from loads of marketing experience and it was more just like we we were just sitting there we got we had no experience building gyms we didn't know what the right thing to do was we just thought we want to make something that that will appeal to everyone and that, that all the people around here will enjoy and and so it was the obvious way to do it and uh, i think later on we did work out how to use survey monkey but initially it was literally just us on the street we just had took clipboards max i and, and me and and my 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 wife, our other business partner, Rima, who at the time I think was about eight months pregnant, um, all just grabbed clipboards and went out uh, at like really early in the morning to grab people as they were coming in and out of Clapton Station and down on Chatsworth Road and just just try to grab five minutes of people's time and say, you know, we're, we're thinking of doing this. What what would you want from it? What sort of classes would you be into? What sort of time would you want to come? Um, and what do you feel you're not getting from, you know, at the time we were all going to the better gym, the King's Hall Leisure Centre. Um, you know, what would you like to see from us that, that you don't get from that? Um, and yeah, I think people really appreciated that, that connection. Did you grab their like email addresses and then tell them once you'd actually opened? Yeah, what we did is if we said, if you if you did filled out the questionnaire, you got your first class free. And so we did a, a we did a few a, a few hundred like ah, that, great. literally just on the street. And then we put it out on Facebook um, with a, like an automated form. And I think five. 5,000 people filled it out. That's the, the, that big queue that Max was talking about being busy from the start. Most of them go, were queuing up for their free class, but um, <laughs> it just it just yeah. created that buzz. I mean, literally, I think we finished building at about half past four in the morning and uh, slept, slept, slept went, home, went home and slept for 40 minutes yeah. and came back and opened the door and there was just a queue like around <laughs> the block. Um, and it was, I remember at one point having to take Max aside and saying, like, I think, I think we should go home. I don't think, I don't think this is, we look, we look, <laughs> Because we were there trying to talk to the customers, but we hadn't spent the days and we were still like, sort of half covered in dust. And I was just like, I think let's just go home and sleep. We've done it. We've done it. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a journey. Your story is so similar to ours. And, and just hearing those little stories like that, like like we've we've been in those situations before where, yeah, you're just, you're, you're running on like a few hours sleep and you're covered in crap and you're just and you're about to I, it's funny isn't it how when we set ourselves a deadline that you you always work right up until that deadline and then it always comes together at that, at that <laughs> yeah. moment but you never know how um but you, you mentioned your your partner Rima there it's the same with us there's there's three of us um and what are like some of the the skills that the three of you brought to to because I always say about our business is like together the three of us are one perfect person what are what are sort of your three um like individual skills that come together to form this sort of perfect team i mean yeah i'm not sure we're quite one perfect person even to the three of us but but we we do our best um so my background <laughs> is, is construction and uh, entrepreneurship generally really i think i mean i i've worked in the record industry 
I've worked in construction, property, um, events. And then Rima's background was PR and she used to work at a big speaker agency. So she's used to working with sort of press and talent and that sort of thing, um, which was really useful in those early days in particular. And then Max, obviously, uh, a photographer. Yeah, so I've um, all my life been, you know, it's been originally a painter. Um, and then I got into photography properly when I was in my early 20s and went on to, um, you know, have a, you know, a successful career in advertising and editorial and fashion photography, which I still do. But I have to say Block, you know, Block has really kind of uh, taken over over the last five years. And now, you know, I'm creative director of the brand and deal with all of the content, the creative direction, and more recently the um, the, the film um, and the moving image side of things, as well as, you know, being very involved in the design of the sites and the overall aesthetic. But it's interesting because we... Although we have got different strengths, we sort of cross over in quite a in, in, in quite an unusual way. Like when I end up getting involved with a lot of the practicalities of the construction side of things, whereas and Ed's actually quite kind of astute with you know elements of the marketing and, and and that side of that side of things as well. So it's it's not really clear cut, but you know how it is. It's uh, no, but I think we've got we've all got our clear strengths, and yeah. while we dip into each other's areas and give opinions, mm. you always respect the other person's area and yeah. so you know at the end of the day i might have an opinion on the aesthetic yeah. but if max disagrees then it's that's max's choice and the same with you know the legals or the financials or deals you know if, I'll, I'll always let max know and run stuff past him but if we disagree on that then that tends to be my decision yeah. um and i think that you know i think it's important when you work as a team to be able to have those to understand what everyone else does because I think even when you're employing someone to do something that you don't do, just have that understanding of what they're doing really, really helps. Because then it's like, if they're not there and someone needs to step in or they leave and someone new comes in, you need that ability to be able to train this new person or at least give point them in the direction of where they need to go to learn that new stuff. But yeah, I feel like that's where kind of as a trio for us as well, that's always worked really well, where everyone's got a slight understanding of what each of is doing. So at least when you're asking for it, you have an idea of how how that's going to work or how long that's going to take or something like that otherwise you can just otherwise end up just throwing tasks at someone that they can't cope with or don't understand i think for us as well the transition of being a kind of founder created company to being you know a, a large organization now you know we've got i think it's 250 people in total Ed, a combination of full-time and freelance is the ability to be able to kind of delegate and let go of certain areas and, and and not try and control absolutely everything i found that particularly difficult um over the years i'm just about getting used to it now after five yeah, years the same as a photographer you can imagine uh, <laughs> the detail the attention to detail is is great but yeah it becomes very hard when you get to a certain scale yeah. what advice would you give on that for someone trying to kind of relinquish a bit of power because they have to like to, for a business to grow you need to be able to trust other people with that I think that it's it's it is just about being able to kind of hand over responsibility and tasks really clearly by taking the time to write down and and you know create kind of guidelines or you know some kind of point of reference so that someone can independently take that away and also just employing the right people who get it because you know recruitment yeah, is, is just so important i mean it's just that's that's it's so important yeah for a business of your size yeah. now you've got like 250 people what is your recruitment process like what do you look for in someone like i imagine now it must be very different to when it was 
right at the start because like do you guys still get to see everyone or do you have people who interview people for you and like what makes a good employee for you yeah well definitely we have uh people joining the company now having not met us which is a weird feeling uh, <laughs> yeah. and you sort of walk in and and uh don't don't realize that someone's part of the team i think again it's just hiring the right people that you that you can trust and so if you're going to Hire, if you're going to let other people within the organization hire people without you there, you need to make sure that you trust those people to hire the right people. So having a, a really good, I mean, we're actually just recruiting now a head of people and culture to run that side of things. But in the meantime, it's very much our sort of manager director oversees that. His background is really in in sort of uh, people and performance. And so it, it that helps because the, the truth is that before that, when we were doing it all uh, and before he came on board, the the, the difficulty we had both with recruitment and with delegation is that we didn't really have systems. Everyone was just kind of like how we just said, like we've all got our own areas, but we were kind of all helping each other. And that was the same with everyone in the company is everyone was kind of just pitching in and it definitely gets to a scale where that doesn't work anymore. And you need really clear plans, strategy plan, targets, budgets, and, and areas of responsibility so that everyone knows what's expected of them that sort of shift from that startup culture where everyone's just mucking into that sort of more SME sort of um, structure is was the hardest thing, I think. But we're just getting there now where we have a really good team of people who we actually can trust that I think, Max, you'd agree now that you could you could go away for two weeks and, and not worry too much that, you know, whereas I think it, it, as recently as a year ago, you probably wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. Definitely. I mean... Yeah, it is getting. It's finally getting to the point where 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 we've got such good people and we've got such clear systems that that yeah, I could I could just about walk away for two weeks. I reckon. He's <laughs> <laughs> never tried it. <laughs> something something you mentioned just there is the fact that you're employing a, a head of people and culture. I think that is such an important role that I feel like most companies won't have someone doing that. And I think that just shows how community driven your studios are. What was that decision to employ someone to do that? And how important is community to you? Yeah, it's one of the hardest things is because there's two communities really, aren't there? And and they do join, but there's the customer community, but there's also the staff community. When you've got 250 members of your team, then that and, and the two feed into each other. And if you can't maintain that feeling of camaraderie and teamwork within your own team then it doesn't that doesn't then foster the the wider community and when we were young like back in 20, 2005 2006 it was just so natural you know we'd all we only had one site we were here all the time and we'd just be out in that cafe all day just chatting to the instructors and we were all mates and then as you grow and you can start putting levels of line management in and you get 250 people, you can't have a totally open door policy when you've got 250 people because you just won't get any work done. So it's how you can you you can maintain that feeling of family and like and, and everything that makes Block so special while having that many people. And I think initially we tried to do it by just maintaining that same just like close contact all the time and not having systems because it felt like systems would would somehow get in the way of that friendship and then what you realize actually is it's the opposite is that's people stuff that's when people you think you're doing really well because you're always talking to people but because there's so many of them most of them are never hearing from you and if they're not hearing from you and you haven't put any systems in they're not hearing from anybody um and actually what we then realized is people were actually starting to feel a bit cut off 
especially as we got busier and busier. We opened Manchester, so we were up there a lot. So you actually get to a point where you have to start putting structures in so that everyone has a line manager and a team and so that they all feel engaged. And then, yeah, now we're at that point where we want that head of people and culture to come in and really start to be able to build systems in that mean that everyone, all the teams continue to interact and it doesn't all get split up. And I think especially now with all the diversity and inclusion, all that kind of stuff, but stuff that we've always done so naturally from day one, you know, we've always been a, such an inclusive place. As you grow, then you can't, again, even things like that, you can't take them for granted. You can't just assume once you start handing over hiring policies to other people and letting people who are two or three people down a chain from you make make hiring decisions, you have to start to, to formalise all of that or before you know it, that sort of culture starts to Yeah, start. that's totally true. I, I think there's a very natural there's a very natural tendency to employ people who are like you. And so I think that's where it's important to have have sort of someone in charge of diversity so that they can just sort of be like nudging people of like, yeah, well, this person may not like look, talk, act like you, but they're still a really valuable part so that you're not just living in an echo chamber of everyone being completely the same. Fitness is such a, it's such an interesting area to be employing people, especially in terms of say the, well, for example, the instructors, I mean, they are, not only do they need to be experts in their field, but they also need to be really strong performers and ambassadors for the brand. And there's this kind of social media element now, which is vital, which which is an interesting one because some of the more engaging instructors that we've got may not necessarily translate that well or have not made the effort to, to really capitalise on what they've got in social media. So we need to find ways of being able to you know, open up that opportunity to them so they can learn a bit more about what's, how they can improve themselves and build through the company. Because um, we, we really do want it to be a place where people can grow and develop and and evolve with us. And, and, and that's, that's when, it's, that's when it, it starts to work really well. But yeah, that does require, um, you know, consistent management and attention. Um, it's very easy, and especially now more than ever, where it's so easy for people to feel cut off and, and sort of um, a bit stranded. Do you guys have like a, a why or a mission statement for your team to get? We behind? didn't when we started. I think uh, it, I think it's quite common that we definitely we did. Yeah. We just didn't know it. If you know what I mean. Mm. So yeah, we hadn't yeah. sat down and gone through it. We definitely looking back on it, we it wasn't a sort of calculated business decision to start this. It was it was definitely a clear why at the heart of it. Um, but we hadn't. We never stopped and thought about it and wrote it down. And then we did it. I guess two years ago, but we didn't really know what we were doing. So I think what we came up with wasn't quite right. Um, but we're just going through that process again at the moment. We haven't formally announced it all out to the to the company yet, but um, we're just finalizing it all now. So vision, mission, values. That's one of the positives that's come out of this pandemic situation is I think when you're building a company like like ours, you can be really on this sort of roller coaster treadmill of just growing, growing, growing and survival. Um, and, you know, when your sites are open 6 a.m. till 10 p.m., you know, seven days a week, uh, 363 days a year, um, <laughs> it can be quite hard to find that time to stop and think and and do that sort of deep dive strategy work. Um, but this is having all the sites closed during this period has given us a real opportunity to sort of stop and do that and really reevaluate, you know, why are we doing this and where are we going with it? and. It's been, it's been really yeah, for, for us, we we sort of always say if you 
although everyone sort of feels within the three of us, we we sort of all feel that the other two are more important, but which is really funny. But as soon as you lose one of us, then everything like would crumble in terms of the business. So I'm coming at this from my like arty creative um, perspective, but like, I just feel like such a crucial, and this is not to undermine the other two, but I just feel like such a crucial part of you guys' success is Max's like creative vision because when I look at other, your basically your competitors, when I look at other people in that space, it's like there's an aesthetic for a gym, which is normally like downstairs, um, some like neon lights or whatever. It's, do you know what I mean? It's just all very samey. Whereas you guys came in and you've done something completely yeah. different. And I think therein, rather than following a formula, that that's where your success has come is from just the aesthetics like that's a place that i'd want to be it's really it's really great to hear that because it's exactly what we've always aimed for and and certainly now we've we've realized that we that the creative audience you know is so is so broad and and so engaged that um that that it that it really works i mean we you know i i've always loved the idea of sort of combining fitness fitness and art and design and and seeing the two seeing the two is very symbiotic and it's reflected in the design of our spaces. It's reflected in uh, the imagery and the films that we make. The body is art and sculpture has always been a big part of where I'm coming from with it. When we first started our Instagram, we literally did not have any photographs at all of people working out. It was just like Donald Judd, Dan Flavin, art that we loved, shots of, you know, shots of the empty spaces and the initial advertising campaign that we did was I, I got a model maker to create um uh, sculptures of um what he he did them with a mold of a kettlebell and a yoga block and lit them in a, a sort of very acidy neon way um with with the contrasting color scheme and that kind of that set the tone for for a very different statement about what we were and, and what we re- what we represented it's just always worked so well and it's um and I think it's it's a combination of where we've all come from, the combination of our of the founders' skills being brought together, and I've always driven it in this very sort of quite quite definite art direction, and it'll always be part of what we do. There was a point where we sort of lost track of the fact we were a gym, <laughs> yeah. which we needed to rein back a little bit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we might have reined it back a little bit far. And now we would address it, but we've got I've got I've got such a good creative team now, as well as a really great sort of head of sales and marketing. So we're we're, we're able to um, navigate that balance between art and commerce quite well, which is I've good. I've seen you guys described as the, as like the most Instagrammable gym. I think it was Mr. Porter that, that put that out there. Was that a conscious decision? Because I've always said if I if I had to open a bar or something like that, like I that like I would be considering Instagram in my business plan of the more people that are going to share being in this space, the more we're going to be talked about. Was it was it a conscious thing or did it just did that just happen because you made a beautiful space? It, it was yeah, it was completely conscious. I mean I, I recall talking about it early early on saying that we, that we need to have you know backgrounds that people will want to photograph themselves against and certainly I've always viewed the spaces as being like sets so you know what's that I mean too well within reason I mean obviously they're functioning gym spaces but where we can and also working with our design team and our lighting designers you know we've always sort of viewed it as how would you know how would how would someone look if they're photographed in this corner 
what's what's the aesthetic you know how does that background work what are the angles how how are the lines you know there's a lot of sculptural insertions within the space that just create these moments where people stop and go gosh you know this, this is impressive and, and unexpected and you know it may, you know we've always thought well it's a change it's a changing room but it's also an opportunity to look at different material palettes and experiment with light and and um and create you know very sort of graphic forms where we can and really focused on materiality um so yeah it's, it is it is it was it's it, we were very conscious about it and i mean even in shoreditch we've got a, a long corridor space where we've got primary neon primary um led lights that create a very specific shadow and that was you know designed for people to stop and take a shot themselves in this in this light and yeah and and, and they do so yeah it's um it's a good formula you're listening to creative rebels the podcast for creatives if you're enjoying this episode please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can I think what I find really interesting is how that visual aesthetic will link to the community that you've formed. Because I almost feel like as soon as you see pictures of your space, if you're not the kind of person who would like to go to one of the other gyms that are really like neon, like basementy kind of industrial kind of feel, you might see that and be like, that's the place for me. And I feel like that's probably where the community is formed so well is from lots of people felt like that other space wasn't for them seeing your space and being like that's the place for me and then getting there and then they suddenly meet lots of other people who have very similar kind of like mindsets and those people are probably really similar and that's a community forming from there do you see much kind of interaction with your kind of members definitely i mean i mean clapton has been is the most developed site because we've been around for the longest but yeah there's there's people who've been coming to us since we opened who've got a whole group of friends that are formed around it and business relationships as well you know in both Shoreditch and Manchester we created quite extensive um, cafe spaces where the idea being that people can spend time after a class meet their friends and work um, and socialize as well and when we get back going again after after um, when all of this passes, we're going to be working on um, doing more events and evening events and talks and exhibitions and art-related events so that we can bring the community together even more in the physical space, as well as trying to do this in the digital space. So, But yeah, the spaces are a real catalyst that bring people together. And also, it's not just customers, it's also instructors and staff who are drawn to want to be part of this thing, which all comes back to the the physical space and and the and you know the creation of these spaces and what we had to go through to get them looking as good as they do functioning as well as they do that's been you know incredibly challenging at times but we've never we've, we've always been really uncompromising on the details and and, and of getting everything to the point where we know it's going to stand the test of time and we know that it's going to not need redoing or redesigning ever um it's just you know it's 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 timeless design that people will always be surprised by and and always um and always feel very sort of enlivened to be to be part of one thing i always think is that if you're consistently looking at your competition you're always on the back foot because you're 
you're reacting to what they're doing and you're responding and and basically copycatting, which I think is is always a, a downfall. It's clear looking at your at your sites that you're that you're not taking inspiration from other spaces, or if you do, if you do, you're doing it in a really different way. Um, where is where like where do you get your inspiration from? Where do the ideas come we origin originally in Clapton, we took a combination of looking. I, I was looking at a lot of sculpt, sculptors and, uh, and and light artists, and that formed the basis of the overall idea. But we did work with um, an interior design firm called Day Trip, who kind of shaped our ideas and, you know, said, look, you know, this is the kind of material you could use here. And suddenly we had this. And these were contacts from Ed's construction business, who he had worked with. And suddenly we started to form a dialogue that um, meant that we were able to have another perspective on these very sort of art driven concepts and turn it into a functional um, a functional practical space and obviously Ed's knowledge from the construction was a useful counterpoint to my ideas which were kind of perhaps more in the art realm so it's a it was a bit of a it was that it was there was a useful tension I think between functionality practicality you know very very sort of highbrow art art and design driven ideas and then when we went to Shoreditch we gave a lot more autonomy to the design team and the lighting designer as well um, to sort of take that vision and, and go away and come back with a proposal, which we just loved. And, and so in a, in a sense, you know, what, what we started, the design team kind of took over and we just work hand in glove with them now um, and, and, and have got a really great relationship. And they, they, they have defined the block aesthetic and, you know, could, you know can, can write quite extensively about what that is and how, and 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 how and how it came to be and what it represents and it's um yeah I feel like I can't we would have no we'd have no desire to go anywhere else now for for design um so yeah I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to do another site whenever that may be yeah because although there is a sort of clear theme and palette that runs through the sites you can also see a really sort of uh, distinct evolution as we've gone from Clapton to Shoreditch to Manchester um, and. The, the day trip and and there's like the lighting designers have really sort of understood what it is that that block means and where we want to go with it and so you know both as max says both shoreditch and manchester they just nailed it first time we didn't really make any changes to their designs and um, we just built what what their vision and I, I love as a builder i love to be able to do that to see have someone as talented as they are come up with the concept and then not mess with it just just create it just realize it um, and they they just came out so well. It's funny. Me and David were talking yesterday about like artistic style and like artists having a certain style. And I almost feel like the studios that you're creating are each like an individual art piece, and your style's like slowly evolving as you're going along. So instead of it just being its business in different places, it's like you're creating something that's beautiful, kind of setting that up and then moving along and then just evolving your style a little bit and evolving it a bit. I think it'll be really nice, say, in like a years time when you can look back at all the different studios you've opened to just document that kind of design evolution and seeing how like reflecting on how different elements that you've learned along the way and different elements that you've kind of seen and taken inspiration from have really influenced that the interesting one actually is manchester because that i think that a lot of the design of the sites is dictated by the initial space so yeah we'll we'll 
Clapton has got all these these incredible Victorian steel pillars and and steel work on the ceilings and original brick walls. So we we will when we find a space, we'll look at the overall practicality of it, but also look for original architectural features that we can reveal and juxtapose those with a very clean modern aesthetic. And Manchester was a, is a really great example of that because it's a Victorian bonded warehouse with huge vaulted ceilings. And um, and some great original features, and and we were able to, we'd we'd evolved so much, design wise that we were able to be quite extreme in 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 the in in how we combined the original with the new insertions. And the entrance portal there is fantastic. It's three steel blocks with um, with lighting features and passivated metal finish, and it's just such a powerful, you know, powerful entrance. To, to, to a space and then you know on entering you know there's a, there's a fantastic light sculpture by Ben Cullen Williams his artwork on the wall I think that it was a real sort of testament to to this idea that we developed working and um it's yeah it's just so exciting the thought of what we where we can take it from here but it, it always starts with the space that is the kind of mm. the key thing and then there's a the practicality of finding a space it being in the right location having the right deal having a landlord that we can liaise with. I mean, this is where Ed, Ed comes in. Ed's skills come into play hugely is, is, is being able to make it happen. Um, it, yeah, it's a very, very long process. And there's so many sites that, that don't quite work. Um, but yeah, I'm really hoping we can, um, w- w- you know, can't wait for the next build now. It's so exciting. And when you've got this space up and running, how important is kind of customer journey to you and how have you developed that? Because I know that you've kind of taken inspiration from how like the restaurant industry works and different other places to make it a really good customer journey. Like how have you developed that and what does that look like? Yeah, again, I mean, when it's, we started out, it was all just very organic. We didn't know anything about, you know, uh, about customer journeys or, or being in the service industries. But we just knew that uh, some very good friends of ours run restaurants and bars uh, our friends Edmund and Roshi have a thing um, called Speakeasy Entertainment who have Nightjar and Oriole yeah. and Swift and some of the some of the best bars in the world and you sort of we were going to these places and seeing the sort of the attention to detail and the love and the care that was going into everything from the from the build to the service the welcome when you arrived the the menus the food the drinks uh, the music and and then going to gyms and just being like why can't these guys put any of this passion into what they're doing you know you can understand it when you go to the local leisure center but even when you're going to other other boutiques and it didn't seem like anyone was really putting that level of passion into delivering the customer what they wanted um and so we just wanted we just thought you know what would we want if if this was this was our gym and and what, what would our friends want as I say, we didn't know anything about building a customer journey. It was just uh, trying to create a vibe initially. And then obviously, as I was talking about before, with the growth, you realize that so much of that, when it's just vibe, comes from you guys being there. Um, And, you know, literally, we would be there choosing the music, greeting people, you know, whatever. And I think when you, you, as you scale, you realize that, again, you, you can't always be there doing that. So you have to start to put structures in place and systems and and that's you know what what the team are, are doing now but i think yeah it's it's not about that sort of american over overzealous sort of hey how are you you know like uh, uh, 
over friendly welcome necessarily. It's just more just just creating creating the right vibe that people feel as soon as you walk in. I, the problem with some of the early marketing, like it was amazing and the photography is so great and striking, but some people found it um, quite, uh, what's the word? Not necessarily uh, immediately welcoming. You know, they sort of look at it and think, wow, that that looks cool, but I'm not sure it's, uh, I can go there. And then, but when you came to that, they came to that Clapton site and you walk down that alley and turn the corner and come through those doors and suddenly you, you just immediately feels like home. And I think that's, it was a real sort of moment of surprise for people when they walked in, just how just comfortable it is to be there um, and how different it is to a lot of gyms where you walk in and you immediately feel like there's an air of sort of competitiveness and uh, and people sort of strutting around, showing off. And there's, there's none of that at block, you know. And I think that was one of the big things we realised at some point was, was whether that was, whether we were, translating that clearly enough in our uh, um, outward facing marketing or uh, whether you had to come and experience it to understand it. Um, but I, I think that's something that holds true now is that with any of the sites, the moment you walk in, it just feels immediately like a, like home. I think there's a, a real gem to be taken there for, because if you're giving business advice to someone, it's not necessarily something that I would think, that I would even think of, but just start with the vibe. Like everyone can do that. Just start with the vibe. Once you've got the right vibe, then build from there. And that's really like, it's a really beautiful place to start. Just get the vibe yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not necessarily as easy as it yeah. sounds, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned sort of marketing there. When you, when you first started, obviously, Rima had um, experience in, in sort of PR and stuff like that. What were what were some of the earlier early things that you did to get noticed? Probably the key thing we did actually was uh, hire a, a great um PR girl, not a big agency, but um, it was uh, a girl called Izzy O'Connor, um, who weirdly was based in Ibiza, um, was hardly ever in London, didn't really have a team. She had a couple of young girls helping her out. Um, I can't remember where, why Rima knew her, but she was recommended to Rima and, and she was just fantastic. She just, she just really got it. As soon as she came and saw the space and met us and saw the concept, she just was in love with it and, and really knew what we were trying to achieve and if you've got someone like that who has the contact to be able to pick up the phone to the right publications and they're not just someone at a big agency doing their job but it's someone who really believes in what you're trying to do and therefore can sell it with passion um then i think that's such a great position to be in and and as max mentioned you know i think it was we've been open less than a month when wallpaper magazine put us in the top 30 coolest gyms on the globe. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, Harper's Bazaar. Weirdly, they, we, we won two different awards with Harper's Bazaar in our first two months. One was Best Luxury Gym in London, um, which I thought was uh, an unusual one because it was quite like pretty raw at the back end of an industrial <laughs> Um And uh, the other one was, was Best Eatery in a Gym, um, where we beat... Gyms, places like KX Gym, who've got you know fully trained, full kitchens and fully trained chefs delivering macronutrients, and really all we had was shakes and uh, bone broth. But I think the bone broth was what that was again. That was one of Rima's ideas, and we we teamed up with the London Bone Broth Company and they just delivered huge bags of it to us, and we had it in one of those old school sort of silver buffalo urns. 
behind the counter and and uh we just we got so much press for that bone broth you know the world's first bone broth bar in a gym so i guess it's just finding little things isn't it you know that that that, that make you stand out and i think i think people did appreciate how different what we were doing was it wasn't like one thing i, I Max and I always used to laugh because everywhere we went and talked to people like around the time of launch, like all the old businessmen would be like, what's your, what's your one thing? What's your USP? And we'd be like, we don't really have a USP. We're just going to do everything <laughs> different and everything better. And we're not going to look at what anyone else is doing. We're just going to do our thing. Um, and I think the kind of people we were trying to attract immediately saw that and were inspired by it and, and loved it we also i think initially we would just give we, we did we had that marketing strategy of just giving away one free class and just absolutely hammering our social spend on facebook and honestly we didn't really know we, we weren't really 100 percent on what we were doing or how we were doing it we were just trying to get people through the door and we did have success with that because as soon as people came and they saw the space they understood it and then they connected with it but so much of it is about getting people through the door and just getting them to experience it. But more recently, we try and encourage people to come and do a number of classes so they can get the full spectrum of the multidisciplinary training that we do, which is obviously a huge, a huge thing we try and push is to, is to try and get people going across the spectrum of classes, doing everything from boxing to yoga to dance to bar and really having a more kind of rounded, holistic view of fitness than just... Um, just just crunching away at one discipline i think something we've always tried to do is is not following the mold because people see something successful so they think let me replicate that and then i'll be successful and it's actually the mm -hmm. people that are brave enough to go and do something different like bringing in bone broth that, okay. that that's actually that's what's gonna set people's brains on fire because it's something new that they've not not seen before um i mean you guys are, are the first ever fitness wellness space to have an artist in residence yeah it's, it's remarkable to think that isn't it because we've always i guess we've always looked towards you know hotels restaurants art galleries you know that's been our inspiration we've never aligned ourselves with gyms particularly um but it's it, it's such a natural thing to have you know great art on display and 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 to be able to connect with that world it, it's it for us it's essential with every site now that we have an art space it's just a part of the criteria and um, and we've we've had we've had two particularly good resident artists, Aaron Gregory and Ben Cullen Williams, who've kept coming up with fantastic new concepts, site specific concepts more recently. And um, yeah, I just think it adds so much interest to the whole to the business and the experience. Yeah, it's also a great PR angle. I think it comes back yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it comes back to that why a little bit that we yeah. were talking about before, that there's there's this when we started doing this sort of deep strategy work now we've started to realize some of the whys that have always been there but we didn't really sort of think about uh, not actively or certainly didn't write down and i think one of them is about the inspiration that movement and exercise can bring to creative mm. people um, and i think we sort of we kind of knew we were doing it and we knew we were doing it from our own point of view i mean the reason we do it is because we're you know it's different kinds of creative inspiration. I'm not, not a, an artist, but I need that to uh, have that movement in my morning before I can really fully focus and, and do what I need to do. And, and for Max, it's very much the same, you know, Max more so than me exercises every day um, and, and needs that for his creative inspiration. And I think 
it's so like again i don't think we knew this at the time but there's there's actually a lot of science around how that works and and the importance of movement for creative inspiration and and i think it, it therefore makes sense to do that in a place where the space itself is is a bit inspirational both in terms of the architecture but also the art on the walls and and every element of it so it's sort of i think it sort of formed quite naturally without us planning it but looking back on it, it it makes sense how it happened and why it happened could you talk a little bit about the um decision to bring in a merch range yeah we we talked a lot about it early on and there was i think again it was in that sort of constant wanting to do things differently we were looking at like all of the other gyms all have merch and first the first thing we did was ban the word merch <laughs> so no, we're not <laughs> going to do merch but maybe we <laughs> but maybe we could create like a line of products and fashion led clothing and um and i don't know whether we whether we did quite the right thing i think you know the truth is we probably could have sell, sold several hundred thousand t-shirts by now had we gone down that road but we were so keen to not just whack our brand on a load of uh uniqlo t-shirts or you know gildan or whatever it is and yeah. um, and we and and instead we wanted to, to to do it really properly and we have actually we've gone down that road a couple of times and we I've actually I'm sitting in the Clapton headquarters now and I've got to behind me a huge cupboard full of one one range of clothing that we've made and haven't yet released and on another cupboard on a wall over there there's another range of clothing that we've created with a um local fashion design brand who I won't name now because I don't want to ruin the, uh, the <laughs> Soraya, our head of marketing's thunder when she does finally do the release of that later this year, I think. But I mean, that that one has been three years in the making. I think we underestimated the work and focus that went into actually properly designing a full range ourselves, um, working with designers, working with factories in Portugal and Vietnam and um, and obviously that's why no one else does it, right? That's why everyone just goes to their local merch company and gets a load of t-shirts printed. Um, and as a result that we're here five years down the line and we've, what have we done? We've done bottles, keep cups, wraps, you know, but we've never really done um, the clothing, which is what really we're passionate about. But I think, you know, that is something that we will see start to come through in the next year or two I yeah think. it was a year before last and that was that was great on a number of levels because we had the you know a very simple but quite bold um range with puma of um t-shirts sweatshirts um and shorts as well um and vests and we also combined that with um an event called the balance festival which is at the truman brewery where we got um ben cullen williams um one of our artists to create um, a, a, a set with um, with a, with a light installation, um, so that there was a whole experience attached to that, and uh, that was that was great. I mean, we'd, I'd love to do more of that. It was um, it was just it felt like we really at that point brought everything together: fashion, art, fitness, mm. and um, and people people loved it. Yeah, I think that was another example of us getting carried yeah. away, wasn't it? It was like all, all the other gyms just turned up with with a sort of box of weights and went into their space, and we turned up with full set builders and designed this amazing light installation and uh did a deal with puma made a whole range of clothing took up most of the year <laughs> but it was uh it, but it was fun 
that's that's what we always do is like always make the best of those opportunities everyone else just turns up with the with what they're supposed to have with the bare minimum it's yeah. like go that extra mile like surprise people and then they'll be talking about you it's re- like it's really simple we're just not capable of we're not capable of doing things you know in a in a, in a normal average way it's if we if we do something like yourself you know you just you want to make an impact and you want to want to you know exploit exploit the opportunity you've got there you know to be in front of an audience from how you were describing that there you loved doing that i think that's Mm. a really important factor there it's the fact that you're actually doing something that you love doing whereas other people would turn up because they feel like they've had to like someone sent them there they feel like oh i should be in this space whereas you've gone how can i make this the most fun possible experience for myself as well as for the people that are going to go forward i think that's a really important factor yeah i think it, i think it's if you've got a brand who are sort of behind you and are backing you a bit as well it really helps and they're they, they they want to be part of that so we've always loved we've always loved collaborating with with sort of like-minded people and they kind of left us to it puma to to do something quite different and interesting there so it was it's ideal for us we were given quite a bit of autonomy as to how we'd approach it you know we've been doing this uh, over five years now coming up to five and a half i guess um and <laughs> it goes up and down a bit but i guess on average we do we're doing sort of 60 70 hours a week of it and so you kind of have to love it right and and it would be very easy to go down a road with it where you stop loving it because you try and get too practical with it but at that point uh, it's it's if, if it's going to take over your entire life for, for that long then uh, what's the point if you don't if you're not enjoying it every day and how do you balance that in terms of making sure that you always continue to love it and you don't let it run away? That's a good one. I mean, it's it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's so many aspects of the business that that are that, that that you don't necessarily want to be paying attention to, but you but you need to. But I think it's just for me. Well, for me personally, it's it's the creative side of things and the photography and the filmmaking that really. You know, that's when I'm in my element the most, and I think my the, my danger is getting too involved in um, sort of operational and logis- logistics side of things, and not focusing on the creative. Yeah, I think that's been a really key part of this uh, this lockdown. Is it's really given us the opportunity to make sure that all those systems are, are so bulletproof that we can now take really take founders out of them and allow them to just run and allow us to do the stuff we love. So for Max, that's the creative stuff. For me, it's the the expansion and uh, looking for new opportunities and deals and, um, and and the digital now. I think as long as, if you keep moving and keep, I think if we were just still running Clapton, then we'd be, we, we, we'd be getting bored by now. But I think if you're always looking for opportunities and, and when you take them, take them wholeheartedly, you know, really go for it. Like we've done now with Block TV, like this last year could have been really tough, right? And really, depressing having all our sites closed and everyone at home but instead it's been an incredible exciting journey of like becoming a tech company right you know we if you'd asked us this time last year you know what do you guys know about tech it it wouldn't be (laughs) much and and uh now you know we are uh, all our projections show us show the tech side of the business overtaking the physical side by the end of next year um this was really really interesting thank you guys for um coming on could you let everyone know where they can find you online yeah we're at um blocklondon.com and also block-tv.com 
Um, but you can get to Block TV via blocklondon.com. Yeah. And Instagram. In- Instagram has been for the last five and a half years Block London, but from next week we'll just be Block. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Brilliant. Guys. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. That was really enjoyable. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>